0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: ...and neutral. So while I express that I enjoyed this purple that you have, it's because I find it very pleasant and uplifting and enriching. But under different circumstances, I might look at it and say, oh, too much of that uplifting, <laughs> right? Whatever, I, Whatever might happen... That's in response to the stimulus that you get, the visual stimulus. So the business that we're in here when we're meditating has to do with mindfulness and what we are mindful of. Particularly, I'm thinking of mindfulness as a process and not an ending. So when you look at it slightly different, you realize that Meditation also has elements of style, conditioning. When we're mindful, we look at seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, touching. And all of these have their own texture. But when we're mindful, even when we're sitting here in this place, we're mindful of whether we're sitting on something hard or soft, whether our hands as they're resting are sitting on something smooth or not and when we set up for meditating we usually try to condition set these conditions texture kinds of conditions well I want it to be just this kind of soft and not any softer I want it to be I, I usually don't meditate in jeans because I find that fabric a little constricting so I'll I'll change into something else when I'm going to meditate. So I'm I'm setting up these conditions for the meditation. And in setting these things up, what we're doing is setting expectations as well. So if I change out of my jeans into stretchy pants, I'm expecting that I'm going to therefore be more comfortable. Now there are two elements to this. One is we're conditioning... You know, we're trying to set the conditions. And the other is we're setting expectations. And then there is what is true, what happens. And sometimes we're surprised. Sometimes we're disappointed. Oh, this isn't feeling the way it should be. So what I want to talk about is whether looking at these differences as texture has some value to take us out of the realm of judging the experience as good bad not so good and and can get us to look at our mindfulness in a slightly different way if we're just thinking of it as texture so so and and how we can hone the texture to support our practice our meditation our practice in everyday life so if we think of texture texture has to do with The feel, appearance, consistency of a surface or substance. Okay, So this is the definition I'm working with. The feel, appearance, or consistency of a surface or a substance. There is another um, meaning of this word that is used when you're talking about music. And the texture of music refers to You have a melody, and then you have the tone of various musical instruments, and you can increase the depth of the music based on voice, instruments, so you have tone qualities that you're dealing with in music, in addition to the melody, and they call that texture. Okay, so all the variations on the word texture have to do with distinctions based on different components of whatever it is you're approaching. So... These, distinguish, these distinctions are distinguishable. So if I'm touching this surface of this uh, podium here, I can see that it's very smooth and over toward the edge it's a little rougher. And so I'm aware of that difference in texture. And what am I feeling? I'm feeling that there's an up and a down sort of feeling. When you talk about texture, I tend to think of something... You know, there's, it's bumpy, or it's knobby, or it's got ridges, or it's very smooth. You know, so, so, uh, so I have this scarf here, and this scarf is a very nice scarf. It was a, given to me as a gift, and it's it's silk twill, and it's, it's very very soft. And when I run my hand over it, it's very smooth, except where the weave changes, and it's 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 still smooth, but it's a little different. Now, noticing that is not too important when I'm wearing this scarf. But being mindful of the experience of touch can be very useful to to realize that this feels comforting. Why does this feel comforting? So it isn't so much analyzing it as the how of what do you notice. So, the how of what I notice has to do with my response to whether it's smooth or not smooth, soft or not sma- soft, it depends on differences. Texture is not mono-realized. There's always a little bit of distinguishing. I don't want to use the word comparing because I don't want to introduce this is better than that, only that it's different. So we have distinguishing things when, when, so when we sit down to meditate, you probably have a variety of things that you do, a, vi- a variety of experiences and practices, even if you're just sitting down to follow your breath. So you, you sit on the, a cushion, or you sit on a chair, or you have, you know, I have a, a prop for my knee. So you, you set up conditions, but also you then experience what it is that you have set up when you're meditating. And, oh, this, this cushion isn't exactly right. I'm going to move it over there. So now there's, there's something that has to do with experiencing the comfort of that. We're following the breath or maybe we're following a different sensation. Maybe we're, we're doing hearing meditation. And you do this kind of deliberately. You decide, I'm going to follow the breath. I'm going to, I'm going to do listening. Uh, you sit with your eyes closed or open. Your body posture is closed or open. So sometimes, uh, when, mostly when I sit, I sit with my hands, my palms down on my knees as I sit cross-legged on the floor. But sometimes I will sit with my palms up, which feels more open to me. And it changes the experience just a little. So what we're talking about is noticing... Subtle differences that keep our mindfulness honed and sharp so that we don't fall into lethargy with our practice. It's a way of staying alert to notice the texture of your practice, the texture of your meditation. Sometimes you may do loving-kindness meditation or you may do equanimity practice. When you're doing mindfulness you're keeping your mind busy. Just noticing, being aware of what's in front of you. And you and you have a focus. So you will focus on your breath. Sometimes it just seems like it's stale. Like, I'm just not finding anything in the breath here. The breath is just boring. And we need to interject something. And that's when we... We realize that the energy has gone out of the practice, and it's getting kind of a stale feeling. So then, then you do something. You know, you open your eyes, you stare, stare at the floor instead of keeping your eyes closed. So it becomes not a question of whether it's happening right, but only that there, there is uh, the texture has gotten too smooth, or the texture is too. You're feeling too restless. So when the meditation is going well, we say, oh, it's smooth. You know, it feels smooth, right? You notice that it's pleasant. You're settled in. It's meeting all of our expectations for ease and peace. There's no trouble staying present. We're not really worried about the hindrances. They're kind of minimal. We're just sitting there, not wanting anything to be other than it is. It's very peaceful. There's just enough energy to stay alert. Not so much energy that we're feeling restless. If meditation under these conditions were a song, you would hum softly. Hmm. You know, I, I spoke to someone yesterday, and I mentioned that I was going to be here this morning, and he said, oh, you're going to sit around and go, oh, mmm. Um. And I thought, well, yeah, in a way. <laughs> in a way, there's this, when you, you, you've had a feeling where you feel like you're in the groove, right? You're doing, um. It may only last momentarily, you understand, but sometimes that happens. And then when it's not going well, we say it's rocky. You know, the, the meditation is rocky, it's, it's unpleasant. Uh, it feels restless. The mind is really chaotic and it's running here and it's running there and it just won't, I can't seem to get to my breath. It seems like we forgot how to meditate, right? I, feel, I mean, I have this experience every once in a while. Wait a minute, what am I doing here? How do I make this work? (laughs) And it isn't that it isn't working. It isn't that we aren't working. It's that it isn't matching the expectation for the conditions that we've set up. Thank you very much. All the hindrances are present. We want it to be other than it is. We want it to be softer. We want it to be quieter. We want it to be something. We're restless, or maybe we're sleepy. I've got to stay awake here. What am I doing? The introduction of doubt. Oh, I don't know how to do this. This doesn't really work. Who am I fooling? Right? But if we view it from the perspective of texture, we might actually see something else. We might see just that it's changing. We might be more aware of the quality of change in everyday life. So some people walk into a room and they are immediately drawn to the articles in the room. The first thing they see is what's on the wall, what's, what's, is there, are, are there chairs in the room? Some people are uh, drawn to colors and they notice the color in the room or they notice the ambience, whether the room is empty or feels full or crowded. So we all, we all do this. I may love the light in the morning and hate it in the afternoon. Re- rooms for people who are recovering from illness are often uh, muted, soft colors. There should be nothing harsh with the idea that maybe if we make things simple, then then they can relax more. This is an assumption that people make, that hospitals make. Um, And it's it's the reason everything is is sort of neutral, so that we don't have too much stimulus, right? And very often, we're not aware of the effect of visual stimuli. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like you you to just look around the room. Just look around the room. See what you see. Just take a couple of minutes. Uh, Just notice. What draws your eye? So, as you look around the room, how many people found their eyes drawn to other people in the room? How about stuff in the room? How about the light in the room? How much light? How little light? Color of the light? Or maybe you were drawn to colors, you know? There are a lot of dim colors in this room today. The walls are neutral. The rug is neutral. The chairs are pretty neutral. Lots of neutral colors. So when, when we sit down, there's, the neutral colors in here are quite deliberate, of course, because when we sit down to meditate, we want that induced stillness where there's not too much visual stimuli so that we can kind of settle in and focus on something and not have our mind be very busy. And so we may well see restlessness as not right. It's not right. And in fact, restlessness makes it more difficult to focus. But it doesn't mean that we're less mindful. We only know that the, the texture is different or we wouldn't be calling it restlessness. We're distinguishing between that smoothness and that roughness. This is what mindfulness is. It isn't, it isn't something wrong. So... Um, what's important to remember about mindfulness is it's not so important what you're mindful of but how you're mindful. How am I aware of this? What does this mean for me? So that we become aware of the process of awareness in the moment. The process. And not whether it meets our expectations. And when we do that, we stop judging it so much. Oh, it's this way now. Oh, it's this way now. So my morning this morning has been very texture-filled. Very texture-filled. And what I mean by that is I'm aware of a lot of sparks, different, different things that are catching my attention so uh, at the moment, there is a leak in my apartment building that is uh, threatening the ceiling of the bathroom, and, and when I pulled things out today so that the plumber could get at them, I discovered that the wall behind the vanity was all wet, and the hall closet was all wet. And I was beginning to see this was going to be a really big deal. <laughs> that it wasn't the plumbing in, in the apartment, it was, you know, the building plumbing that was leaking. And, uh, and there was talking to the neighbors and talking to the owner of my apartment who is now in London. And So there were all these sparks of things happening and uh, other things that I don't have to go into, but, but things that I was trying to set up for my daughter and things I was trying to set up for my husband and you know, lots of different pieces that were calling my attention. So I could either say that I was very busy and scattered or I could say, it's a very texture-filled morning. And the difference in that is that it doesn't feel so overwhelming when I just say, oh, there's lots of, there's lots of things I can feel today. As opposed to, oh, I have all these things I have to control and fix. And this is a this is one of the things in thinking about texture that makes a big difference is that there's not so much something that you have to fix because it's better or hold on to or fix because it's not good or hold on to because it is good it just is. This is how it is. And you become more in touch with the suchness of it. Oh there's a lot of texture. There's not. The, the texture is bumpy. The texture is full. It's cold. It's warm. You know, when I touch this, and I am thinking, oh, it's going to be hard, I may not even notice that this bell is cold. Unless it's really cold. I'm not looking for cold. I'm looking for hard. And that's what I find. So I don't notice cold. Cold say, versus the pillow that this bell is sitting on, which is also a little cold, (laughs) but much warmer than, than the bell, which is brass. So this reminds me of something also, which is that you really only see what you look for. So if we're only aware of those bumpy things sticking up that are grabbing our attention, we don't notice... The non-bumpy things, the things that are deeper than that, but also present. Because we're not looking at them. Sometimes it's because our attention is so scattered, we don't have any hope. You know, when you, The ceiling of the bathroom is falling down, you're not going to think about whether you have enough tissue. You know, it's just a different thing happening. So sometimes a form is uh, very resilient, like a, a rubber band. If you stretch a rubber band, it goes back immediately. But if you stretch Play-Doh, it doesn't go back immediately. You know, it's, you form it into a different form. Same material, it's just reshaped now. And our experience is like that also. Sometimes things go very quickly just back to the way they were. And sometimes they changed, and they're just changed. Now they're changed. When we experience something as... Uh, only one way, when we're only looking at one thing, we're not so aware of all of the changes that are occurring in our life simultaneously. So if you look in the mirror, I may look in the mirror and look for the wrinkles, and I'm very aware of the wrinkles, and I won't notice the freckles. Because I'm not looking for the freckles, I'm looking for the wrinkles. Or we're, we're surprised when we see pictures of ourselves. Because when we look in the mirror, we're looking at our eyes, or we're looking at our hair, or, you know, if i got something sticking up on top of my head. And we don't notice that, you know, the shirt's not buttoned correctly. And then we see the picture and say, who is that? <laughs> I've been looking at that person in the mirror every morning. I don't recognize that person. It's because we, we focus our attention. We're used to looking at certain things. But when we think of life in terms of texture, we might be more inclined to notice what else is there. If, if I'm noticing bumps, that implies that there is the opposite of bumps, or at least a difference than bumps. We don't think so much of comparison. This is an eventful morning versus an uneventful morning. It's more, oh, there's a lot of popping popping up things here. And my coffee tastes just the same as it did yesterday. It's really quite delightful. But if if I'm really focusing on all the the phone calls and the the popping up things, I'm not even going to notice my coffee. So in mindfulness we have choices. We actually choose where we place our attention. So we don't have to choose that thing that's knocking on our, our door. Now maybe we need to. But maybe we can see what else is happening. So. Let's take, for example, uh, when we're meditating, we have an experience of fear or anxiety. Now, the instruction is just stay with the fear. Notice the fear. Just see how the fear feels. Well, that instruction may lead you to focus on fear and hold it in place. Make it something... Make it give it give it solidity, and you start justifying. Of course, you know this is what it's about. I'm afraid because, and and this is this. Okay, no, I'm not going to wear it. But you 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 start holding on to that fear because you're focusing on it. You're you're making it the subject, right? Now, if I can say, how do I know fear is here, or how do I know anxiety is here, instead of, oh, fear is here and and my mind fills in, this is what it means. This is what I have to do about it. Or I need to fix it. Or I need to be with it. Or all of the stories and demands that we make on this realization. How do I know anxiety? Oh, well, there's this this roiling and there's this tension and there's this... Uh, uh, prickliness. Oh, the mind goes off on prickly. Now does prickly mean sharp, or does pri- is prickly a mental construct? Oh, the mind is getting involved in this. Okay, but how do I know that it's anxious? What does this mean? Oh, it's unpleasant. Yeah, it's unpleasant. It's it's confusing. Oh, there's confusion here. Now, I'm not so much getting stuck in the story of anxiety or fear and I'm noticing the texture of the experience there's more things happening than the one thing that actually engages my mental and emotional world it's another way of not making it more than it is to see what else is here how do I know this is unpleasant? It's tight. There's nausea. Ugh, that's unpleasant. Don't want to go there. Don't have to think about that. So it's not so much a pushing away as it's noticing the aspects of it so that we don't become attached, embroiled, caught up in something that has mental loading. Sensations are not as loaded as the word fear or the word anxiety or the word sadness or the word grief. If we stay with the sensations, we can notice what's happening there and we're, we're present for the impermanence of that more than getting stuck in this is the meaning of that. we're more with what is and less what could should be when we're when we're paying more attention to the sensations there's the the macro aspect of meditation also that is impinged by this so you know sometimes it's easy to sit every day. It takes only a little bit of effort. And sometimes it takes a lot of effort. This also a matter of ease, not so ease. There's a difference. They're disti- distinguishable. It's part of the texture of practice. It is not always the same. I call this the macro difference. So it's not so much when, when you're following your breath and noticing the different breaths. This is just the act of getting on the cushion to begin with. Sometimes it's easier than it is at other times. Okay. Just, I can notice that. I can see that. I don't have to judge that. It's changing all the time. We have a very strong desire for things to be the same. It makes it seem like it's easier to control. (laughs) If I know what to expect, even if it's bad, I I know what to do. Maybe I don't have to do that. It seems easy now. It seems hard. It seems pleasant. It seems unpleasant. When we accept that pleasant and unpleasant and neutral are all part of the texture of life, we don't judge it so much. We don't say, well, I have, to, I have to fix that. I have to change that. Maybe there is, as part of effort, something that we can do to affect to that. But we don't have to be wed to, this is the way it should look. This is the way it should be. Can we be, just be aware of disappointment. Oh, it's disappointing. I was really looking forward to one of those humming days when the meditation was just humming. Oh, but instead I get one of those days that is mm, jerkier. Ooh, a jerk. That felt like a jerk. I don't know how many of you heard that. I think there was a car honked sort of toward the end of the meditation. And I, I felt my body go ooh. I, it's just, I felt that sound in my body. I said, "Oh, unpleasant." <laughs> so, what I want to do now is have all of you just get comfortable and close your eyes. Just close your eyes and um, and take a deep breath and let it out slowly. While you're sitting here, wish for yourself something sweet, something easeful. May I be at ease just just now. Just breathe out now. Imagine yourself softly held by someone you love. Just safe. May I be happy. Just Now Now open your eyes and softly look around the room. Is there anything different from the last time you looked around the room? To feel the same? Do you see the same things? Does the quality of what you see reflect the quality that you saw a few minutes ago? Did you in fact, while you were sitting there, that brief moment, feel like you took a fresh breath just for a moment? Did it feel like opening your eyes was not what you wanted to do right then? Or were you thinking, why are we doing this? Perhaps the conditioning that we set for ourselves does change the texture of our experience. And it's important to remember that we can do that. We can change the texture of our experience. And we can see it change. We can feel it change. We can experience it change. Just just by noticing it. Just by seeing clearly. Oh, this is what's happening now. Perhaps when you first opened your eyes, your visual experience was not really important. That you opened your eyes and there was seeing, but there was not quite seeing. It's like there was a... Sometimes there's an unwillingness to really focus on anything. Right? When I first come out of meditation, I'm sometimes like that. I don't want to, I don't want to notice everything. I want it to be easier. Uh, I have uh, my son, actually. My stepson just came out of a three-month retreat. And he, he, uh, he came out of retreat. He was in Nepal and he went to Bali to come out of retreat. And he said to his total surprise he kept wanting to go back into the room and s- sit in his hotel room and meditate. Because it was hard to withdraw from that peace that he had experienced after three months of silent meditation. It was hard to, it was hard to withdraw from that and go out on the beach in Bali. And, and so we, we noticed that also. That's part of the texture of what our experience is. That, that we noticed that The wanting to lean into some experience or or stay away from it. And just noticing it is enough. We don't have to say, that's good, that's bad. That means this, this doesn't mean that. We can just, oh. Trying to see things with a different light, with a different view. Maybe with a softer heart which was my intention with that last exercise, it's a softer heart, will give rise to more awareness. The practice of changing your perspective to think about your experience a different way, to be open to a different way of experiencing, will give rise to more awareness. In general, will allow you to inhabit your life more if you're not constantly setting it up and comparing it to how you've set it up. But rather just, oh, this is what's happening now. We'll be more in touch with the here-ness and the now-ness as opposed to the there-ness of experience. It becomes more intimate. It becomes closer to us. Maybe it will allow us to see things just as they are with a willingness to let them be that way. Oh, this is how it is. Oh. Oh. Texture is that quality that refuses to lie down and be uniform, unchangeable, and dependable. It mostly relies on our willingness to be with ambiguity and diversity. To be tolerant of just what is. Not apathetic, but just, oh, this is what, oh, this is what it is. A a sense of awe and discovery. Oh, this is how it is. Mostly we're not too aware of this desiring for a lack of texture in meditation because we're so focused on conditioning our meditation. Here's how I want it to be. So we're not so open to, oh, this is how it is. So I'm going to read you what is a slightly long poem, and then I hope we can talk about it. So... It is, it is about expectations about how we see our practice and how, uh, what we want from it. So this poem is by Norm Fisher, who is a Zen priest uh, in our area. And it's called A Model of the Universe. A Model of the Universe. So what we want is a model of the universe that includes everything, leaving nothing out. Yet it is completely different, fresh, unique, holding nothing in common with any of its constituent elements. Yet it is not strange, exotic, does not make us feel uncomfortable. What we want is a model of the universe we can read about in a magazine article with pictures. Yet it can't be just another magazine article, and it can't be in a regular magazine. This magazine will glow as it shimmers before our eyes. What we want is a model of the universe that will answer all our questions, to which we can refer for all sorts of advice, to foretell the future, cure bursitis, get-rich-quick aphrodisiac, etc., and will be absolutely foolproof 100% of the time. What we want is a model of the universe that we can talk to coyly. We can droop our eyelids at, plump our lower lips, begin the sniffle, and it will pat our shoulders and say, there, there, dear, grow sad and droopy itself, but without ever really losing its composure or assurance. What we want is a model of the universe so complex we can never understand it. So simple we can grasp it in a glance and explain it to our friends via a few simple sentences. What we want is a model of the universe which, once in our possession, becomes identified so strikingly with us that we become internationally famous. Our names, household words, the meaning of our doing and saying an eternally living legacy around which all subsequent culture is organized. What we want is a model of the universe we can count on time after time, yet is never tiring, never predictable, eternally new. What we want is a model of the universe that is better than someone else's model of the universe, that makes their model of the universe look really pale by comparison. Although only we realize this, we and our intimate friends, but our model of the universe is also better than the model of the universe of our intimate friends, Although the fact of the matter is that no one but us really possesses a model of the universe. It is our own little secret. However, we write poems about it that strike others as infinitely suggestive and profound. But since this makes us feel lonely, we want a model model of the universe that everyone understands. We want a model of the universe that explains everything, yet doesn't take the mystery out of anything. In fact, adds mystery even to the simplest of daily actions, a model of the universe that keeps us fit at eating delicate and healthy foods, a model of the universe in which we appear never overweight nor old, yet we don't want to actually appear in this model of the universe, we want to be beyond it, holding it in our hand, looking at it from a distance. Yet we don't want to feel alien from it either, we want love. We want a model of the universe in which we can always stay home, yet be able to travel whenever we want to remote places, where all foreign languages are actually English, though they never lose their ethnic charm. What we want is a model of the universe contiguous with the total shape of time, so that it neither begins nor ends is neither something nor nothing. What we want is a model of the universe in which this poem, therefore, never ends, and in which it never began. You'll be grateful to hear that's the end of it. But it is like our thoughts. In a perfect world, this is what it would be. There would be these things. We, would, we, we want it to be simple, but not simplistic. We want to be wise and appreciated. We want to know the why of things. We want things actually to be unambiguous. When, when we read this poem, it seems ridiculous. So much forming. At no time in this poem did he say we want boring. <laughs> we have a lin, l, an unlimited list of how we want our lives to be. And yet, we don't leave room for all of those things that sometimes get our attention and sometimes don't. The real beauty is that we we don't need for things to be different than they are to be peaceful and at ease. We really don't. It is our relationship to the experience of our lives that determines this. Our relationship to the experience. Can we be present without agendas? It's really difficult. Can we just take, take the, the, ups, the up places and the smooth places and the unsmooth places and just see that they're smooth and, and unsmooth? Can we hold these experiences lightly? So that we don't crush every moment with our own expectations and secret sauce about how it could be better. Just this, just now, this is how it is. And the next moment, I don't require it to be the same, oh, and I don't require it to be different oh so that's what I have to say about texture I hope it has some meaning for you to, th- to see life to see your experience to see your meditation to see your practice as as moments that are just like this, and sometimes they're just like that, and sometimes it's a variation of this, and that it is distinguishable, but neither better nor worse, just distinguishable. When we look at through this lens, we can be more open more aware of, see more clearly just how it really is. Thank you. So, my hope is that this will stimulate some discussion, some questions. Yeah. Do we have the microphone?
2: So, I had a question about um, texture. It's uh-huh. interesting. Thank you for the talk. It was very good. You're welcome. Texture, um, in, a, in a sense, I think of texture as something being elastic and something being rigid. Uh-huh. There's probably levels, different levels between rigid and elasticity. Yeah. But I was thinking about you have a lot of expertise in this field probably. I think you studied some biochemistry or something. Mm-hmm. I've, I remember. But what do you think about how does meditation affect the brain itself? Does it? Does it? Can it actually help it become more elastic? Has we can become. We get older. We, we lose our memory. We lose our cognition. And does this meditation, if you practice it, do you think that it changes the physiological aspects of the brain as well? I mean, this is kind of a maybe.
1: Well, of course, uh, I'm neither a neuroscientist nor currently a biochemist, but. Uh, there, there is a. I, I think that I'm pretty safe in saying that the ability to, uh, to engage new ways of thinking, there, there are kind of two different ways. One is to reinforce a particular way of, say, problem solving. And another is to leave yourself open to trying different solutions to a puzzle, for example, and that this creates new pathways, which does lead to elasticity. Okay? Uh, so, for example, uh, it used to be that they would say it's good to work crossword puzzles. It keeps you mentally sharp. Well, what it does is make you good at crossword puzzles. But having a variety of tasks that stimulate creative ways of being, and and maybe that includes taking up uh, painting or drawing or listening to music with a different ear, so that it stimulates uh, growth of neurological systems. So uh, this morning I read a news item from Stanford News Daily about a, a person who was studying the cerebellum And the cerebellum is that part of the brain that is typically uh, has to do with balance and breathing. It also contains 80% of the neurocells and 20% of the volume. So it's a very concentrated area, and uh, it's hard to study it. I mean, you know, people are living, you don't want to be taking core samples. So he was working on with mice, and what he discovered was that cells responded to. Pleasure, which was uh, sugar water, and that was expected. But what he also discovered is they responded to anticipation of the, of the sugar water, and the cells responded to uh, subsequent, uh, had a kind of relaxation pleasure response, and that this was more structure within the cerebellum than anybody has actually demonstrated before, uh, behavior, behavioral structure. So first they had to learn that they liked sugar water, so there was a learning process there also. And, and then, then there was the anticipation, which is definitely a, a learned response. You, 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 can't, you can't respond to something if you don't know it's there in the first place, if you don't have any experience. Of, it's that forward-leaning kind of thing. So that discovery leads me to believe that if we... Are more aware of the texture of our lives. We are going to form. We are likely to form new neurological connections that make us uh, more aware of what's going on. I mean, the the whole memory thing has to do with laying down memory traces and and being able to recall them. And these are new connections that get made based on whatever your experience is. So, no, my, I think my, it, it my, makes sense.
2: My question is more geared towards meditation itself. How, is there any studies that show that? I know they studied some nuns years ago that meditated for years and years and years, and they did an MRI study on them, and they found that they had less plaques. Matter of fact, their brains were similar to 30 year olds, and they were mm-hmm. like in their 90s. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they were very. They, so, I'm wondering, does, is there any support to that?
1: is there uh, so are you asking me is there support for meditators have uh, longer neurological lives <laughs> something yeah, okay. like that uh, I, I, I don't know how to answer that question uh, I have uh, I don't think I'm qualified to answer that question I'm, I'm going to leave that go Uh, My own experience is that I am less when I meditate I am better able to Distinguish what's going on in my direct experience. And that... It, which which I'm calling a, an awareness capability. And that fine structure of my experience... Leads me to believe that this is... Um, A valuable com- component of my mental life, whether it has anything to do with my ability to think about it, the cognitive ability to reason uh, i don 't know i don 't know. yeah, there is a lot of research in the, in that area. Um, and there was a daylong here a few days, a few weeks ago, with uh, Matthew Brinsilver, Silver. And I think he was talking something about that, but I'm sorry, I I was not here, and I I can't comment on that. So, anything else that somebody would like to comment on, think about, reflect on?
0: I thought that I was the only one who was overwhelmed by events that occurred in my life kind of piling up and piling on me. And so it's so refreshing to me to hear that this also happens to our teachers. <laughs> <laughs> that, that there is there can be... Um, events that occur that actually don't overwhelm you. So it's um, inspiring to me to uh, navigate my life and I uh, really appreciate the talk because it um, really puts a new perspective on the idea of seeing things as they are and looking at them with some discernment about their nature and their um, their feeling, as what you're describing as texture. So
1: it, okay. it was
0: um, very helpful. Thanks.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think because there's so much, so many events going on in my life right now, I could either think about being over busy, but because I've also been in the last few months, thinking about how my view affects my experience. I've been examining what, what constitutes that view and that just looking at the variety of experience, the, the eyes through which we look at the variety of experience will influence the experience. So, so I'm really exploring this idea of texture as a way of Examining just how is my awareness being influenced by how I look at it. So, we need to stop. Thank you for your attention. And may all your textures be pleasing.